Welcome to the Day Before Leadership Podcast. I pray it encourages you to move from surviving to thriving in your leadership. If you enjoy it, make sure you subscribe and share it. Here's today's interview. All right, Pastor Tim Ross, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here with you, man. Absolutely glad to be here. Absolute honor to spend a few minutes with you. Uh, we're in a crazy time. Uh, first question I have for you is what have you learned about yourself and what have you learned about other people through this whole COVID crisis? Yeah, I think the thing I've uh, learned about myself or learned more about myself is that I am an introvert. And so uh, quarantine was kind of synonymous with the word sabbatical for me. Uh, I have no issues at all staying in the house. I have no issues at all uh, being socially distant. Uh, as long as I've got my family, I'm cool. I do miss the community of believers, but outside of that, I'm a homebody anyway. So uh, I just learned that I'm more of an introvert than I thought. Um, what I've learned about other people is that, um, man, people are, are really truly finding out um, where they really hold their security and their anchor. Um, even, even as believers, I'm finding out a lot of believers are not as close to um, Christ as they thought they were. Um, and money kind of showed them that or the lack thereof. Um, community showed them that or the lack thereof. Um, their family showed them that or the lack thereof. So um, it's, it's, I think, I think COVID-19 has given the whole world an opportunity to pause and reflect on uh, what's really dear and true to them. Amen. Amen. Well, you're author of a great book, Upset the World. I see it there in the background. Tell, listen, yes. tell listeners and, and viewers uh, a little bit about the book and, and what they can expect when they read it. Yeah, so if you get this book, what you can expect is to have your world turned upside down with the message, love, and hope of Jesus Christ. Um, this book is actually my life message. It's not like something cool that I thought people would buy. This is actually the way I've lived my life for the last 24 years that I've been a believer in Jesus Christ. And I finally uh, have been able, through God's word, to, to synthesize that and, and bring that to people in a way that I hope allows them to do the same. It's based on this comment that's made in uh, Acts chapter number 17, verse number six. An angry, an angry Jewish mob says of uh, Paul and Silas that these men have caused trouble all over the world. That's the way NLT renders it. But the New King James says, these men have, called, have turned the whole world upside down and now they've, got, they've, got, they've gotten here too. And so, um, to be upset by definition literally means to turn something upside down. And Dave, I don't know anybody that's coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ that hasn't turned their, hasn't had their life turned upside down or the way the kingdom would say it is have your world turned right side up. Amen. Amen. Y'all got to get that book. Um, you've been, you're from California. Um, you've now been in Texas, I believe for over 22 years. So longer in Texas than you have been in California. That's right. Transitioned from Gateway Church to Embassy Church, I believe, four years ago. Can you talk to people who are listening or watching about that transition and things you learned about transitioning, challenges, 
and also some things that you were able to see and, and walk people through who are in the midst of a transition themselves. Yeah, man, that's really good. You know, I, I was born and raised in Southern California and, and basically considered myself a, a West Side for life guy, right? I was going to be West Coast till I died uh, until I got a word from the Lord to buy a one-way ticket to Dallas, Texas. I was on a Greyhound bus for two and a half days, three suitcases packed and $400 to my name on this uh, faith move to move to a different state that I didn't know anything about. Uh, was at the Potter's house for 13 and a half years before transitioning from there and wound up at Gateway. Uh, joined Gateway in 2011, came on staff 2012, and then was sent to plant a church in September of 2015. So um, my life has been marked by these very significant transitions. And I found out that there's three things that happen uh, in transitions, whether they're good or bad. Um, there's going to be friction, there's going to be frustration, and there's going to be discomfort. I don't care if it's the best transition of all time or the worst transition of all time, three things remain the same. There's going to be friction, there's going to be frustration, there's going to be discomfort. The thing to realize is that um, friction in and of itself is not bad. Frustration in and of itself is not bad. Discomfort in and of itself is not bad. It's what we do with those three things uh, that inform how we're going to experience um, the, the transition that we're going through. So, um, I've learned that all transitions have an inherent uh, built-in friction, frustration, and discomfort. And the sooner you realize that, the less angry <laughs> you will be with uh, the things you have to do to maneuver through the transition. Wow, so good. Let's uh, switch gears here with those three words in mind. Let's talk about what's going on in America today with the social injustices, the racism that we've seen, and all that's going on and how the church has handled that or hasn't have handled that um, with the frustration, friction, and discomfort. Discomfort helps bring change. I wonder if you can speak a word of hope regarding those three words specifically to the situation now that we've seen in America. Yeah, I, I, as unfortunate uh, as uh, the circumstances were that led to this uh, kind of discourse that our, that our country is having. And I'm so happy um, that we're actually having the kind of conversations that we're having, um, that my white brothers and sisters are actually starting to lean in, to listen, uh, to learn, and then go be loud about the things that they have listened and learned about. Uh, I'm happy to see Black people use their words uh, as opposed to just actions. Um, I don't mind a good protest. Um, I don't mind marching. Um, I don't mind screaming. Uh, but, it, but until we have words for the things that we're feeling, our nation will never heal. So the more words we have to inform the season we're in, the more healing uh, we can expect to have as a result. Um, you, you know, when, when I look at what's going on in America, uh, what God has always been trying to do in this country is bring people together. It only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that Satan is a divider. Like that's the, if he taught a math class, the only, the only thing he would actually teach is division, right? He wouldn't teach addition. He wouldn't teach multiplication. He wouldn't even teach subtraction. He teaches division. So as believers, if we understand what, what Satan's uh, objective is, which is division, 
then we need to be more than anybody else in the entire country. Don't look to presidents for this. Don't look to Republicans, Democrats, donkeys, elephants, congressmen, senators, governors. The church has to be the one to inform the world that we know what unity looks like, right? Uh, you and I are brothers and we've never met in person, right? The fact that we both believe in Jesus Christ uh, made it possible for us to be a part of the greatest fraternity known to mankind, right? Um, and as a result, uh, without even having a history uh, of relational equity between us, Christ bringing us to the same point allows us to have a relationship that people in the world will never have as long as they live. If you came to Dallas right now, you would have a brother in Dallas. If I came down to N.O., Right now, I'd have a brother in NO. And so we, we have something as believers that the world just doesn't have. And if we express that more, I think it would be more attractive to the world. Hey, man, that's so good. That leads right into the next question. You have such an art of preaching the word, of making it come to life, of, of taking the characters in the Bible and, and putting us in the Bible itself to where those characters are no longer there and you see, we see ourselves in the situations. And so even with the illustration about the devil being a math teacher, is just incredible. Now, I believe you preached your first message five weeks after you got saved. And I've been watching you, you know, almost every message you preach. Now, my family's watched almost every message you preach at conferences. Walk us through what your sermon prep looks like and how you come up with those messages. Wow. Um, yeah, man. I, so I preached my first uh, message five weeks after I got saved. I, um, you know, I got saved January 14th of 96. Um, January 15th of 96, I'm like, well, I gave my life to Christ. I better start reading my Bible, right? Like, that's how I, that's how I processed that moment. And I started from Genesis 1 and 1. And when I began to read it, bro, it was like a pop-up book. Like I wasn't reading as much as I was watching it. And this is just the way God's like made my brain. Like I see everything people say. I see everything I read. So I get these images and these pictures uh, and these colors that come to my head. If somebody's describing like a mango that they ate or if, they, if they're describing like, you know, some tragic event that they've gone through, it really impacts me deeply because I can see and visualize every single word that a person says, every single word that I read on a page. So as I'm reading uh, the book of Genesis, bro, I'm telling you like these, these are scenes in my head. Like I'm, I'm seeing God create uh, 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 the world in Genesis chapter number one. I'm seeing him uh, give power to Adam in Genesis chapter number two. I'm seeing Eve presented uh, to him at the end of two. I'm horrified that this serpent is so intoxicating uh, uh, in Genesis chapter number three. I, I, am, I am shocked that two brothers that came out of the womb uh, uh, would, would, would um, get into a, a situation where the oldest kills the youngest, Cain versus Abel, Genesis chapter number four. Um, I am... I am, you know, intrigued by the history that is going on in the begats in Genesis chapter number five. And then I am blown away by the fact that God wants to like end all of humanity because of their sin 
by Genesis chapter number six. Like these are scenes in my head. I don't have to like go get my Bible and open it up and like, oh my goodness, I, I got to prepare for a sermon. I'm like watching this stuff. So I'm, I'm recalling what I, what, I, what I looked at more than what I saw, right? And so when it comes to sermon prep, when I read the Bible and, and then I'm like, okay, I want to talk about this scene in this movie, right? It would be like talking about Avengers Endgame. It's like, yo, I'm going to preach about the Thanos snap, right? Like, like this, is, this is what I want to talk about today. And so from Genesis to Revelation, man, it's like when I get a sermon, I'm, I'm taking what I've read and essentially what I've watched and I'm just going to retell the story to a bunch of people. So good. I've never heard it that way. And that's just incredible. God's given you such a gift. Thank you. So Yo, much. it's a gift. Yeah, it's a gift. I can't take credit for it, for sure. Well, you, you have relationships with some world-class leaders. You spent time with Pastor Robert Morris, and you've also spent time with Pastor Michael Todd. I wonder if you can share with us uh, two things. Number one, what are some of the greatest things that Pastor Robert Morris has ever taught you or that you've learned from him? And number two, what, are, what uh, sets Pastor Michael Todd aside from other pastors in the world today? What, are, what do you see in him um, that, that you, you would encourage other people to also pursue in their lives? Okay, yes, those are two great questions because I love both of these men, right? So with, with Robert, um, the, the greatest takeaway I've gotten from Robert is... Um, to give generously and steward wisely. This is his life and it's, it's also my life. I've, I've always been a giver, but I got around him and it was like throwing like a gasoline tanker on a campfire, right? So there was this huge explosion. And once I got around him, I'm like, oh, I can give in ways I never thought before. Like, God, you, you're allowing me to become a different type of giver, right? Like uh, I can give in ways that I, that I never thought possible. So, um, so that's one thing in, but, but on the other side of that, cause it's one coin with two sides, one side is the generosity, but the other side is the stewardship. If you don't steward what God has given you, you'll never have enough to give away. And so um, learning, not just the fact that the blessed life is about, uh, generosity is also about stewardship because again without that stewardship we don't even have anything stored up to be able to be a blessing uh, to others so um, that's what I would say uh, is my takeaway from Robert with Mike um, I've known Mike for I think nine years now and um, I just love him you know when I met him he was a youth pastor and you know, when, when we say that, you know, God, God has greatness for somebody, we don't know what that means, right? Greatness is relative. You, you know, um, I don't think greatness means that, you know, you got to be preaching to people, you know, in an arena of, of 500,000. I just believe greatness is achieving exactly what God set for your life. Well, neither Mike nor I knew what greatness was going to be for him. Uh, but when we came into a relationship, God just kind of knit us together. And when he knit us together, um, I just decided, man, this, this dude is, is, is on fire for God. He reminds me a lot of myself when I was his age. Uh, Cause he was in his twenties when I met him. 
Uh, and uh, to see what God's done in his life now is just phenomenal. But what I love about Mike is that the core of who he is has not changed, even while God has elevated his uh, influence. Uh, who Mike is uh, and how he treats Natalie and how he treats Bella, Ava, and MJ. None of that has changed. And as a result, just allowed our relationship to get deeper. So, so if I were to say my biggest uh, thing that I love about Mike is his submission, not only to God, but uh, to the authority that's in his life. And, and I believe that's the secret to his success. Amen. Amen. Fall in love with submission, not ambition. I love, I love. Yes, sir. Um, you speak openly about trauma that you've experienced in your life, starting at eight years old, also losing your brother at age 28. Um, you speak about how God met you in those moments and who you are today. I wonder for people who are watching or listening right now who feel stuck in their trauma or somebody who has a relative that's stuck in trauma. I wonder if you could speak a word of hope specifically now uh, during this quarantine and what everybody's experiencing and maybe some things have come out people didn't realize or know somebody else was dealing with some real, some things that date back to their childhood. I wonder if you could just speak a word of hope about that. Yeah, man, you know, um, I, I would say for the person that has experienced some trauma in their own lives, um, don't allow yourself to heal yourself you'll fall short every single time. Um, uh, you're not Rambo. You're not, <laughs> you know, a lone wolf. We all need people. Uh, God set us up that way. The, the statement that God makes about Adam, not to Adam, but about Adam is, it is not good for him to be alone. Now, I want you to just think about that. Uh, God makes an observation about Adam that Adam didn't observe himself. Adam doesn't go, man, I'm, I'm out here all alone. All these animals have a mate. I don't have one, God. What's up with you? No, Adam was content in his relationship with God. But what God knew is that he wouldn't be okay on earth by himself. So when he says it's not good for man to be alone, that's not just a marital question or statement, I should say. It's also a relational statement. God built us and made us to be in relationship. And I don't know anyone that gets healed outside of relationship, whether that's with your spouse or your family or a dear friend or a therapist or a counselor or a life coach. We all need someone outside of ourselves to help us become the best of ourselves. So if it's somebody that's dealing with it individually, my encouragement is to get outside of yourself and give permission to another person to help you heal in the way that you're supposed to. Um, for someone that knows a family member that needs help, my best encouragement is to pray for them. Here's what I've learned, and I'm a helper, man. So this is a, this is a huge revelation for me. You cannot help anybody that doesn't want help. Point blank, period. If you offer help to a person that didn't ask for your help, they are not going to receive your help. They may entertain you because of relationship, but not, we're not gonna do anything you say. So until somebody yells help, reaches out for help, they don't actually want help. And you can see a person that needs help, but if they don't see their own need for help, they will never be helped. 
So I know I've said help a bunch of times in that entire kind of context, but it's the truth. If a person doesn't want to be helped, you can't help them. Wow. Wow. I, I got to ask this follow-up question just hearing that because that's amazing. It's actually two follow-up questions. For your first part, if someone's experienced trauma within relationships, you know, dating back, you know, eight years old, I experienced trauma at the hands of somebody else. So uh, it's hard for me to trust other people and relationships to find that healing. So how does that, what word of advice can you give or what word of help? Because you received trauma, so how can I receive healing and, and trust again? Absolutely. One of the things that has to happen is that you have to realize that the person that hurt you um, is not the same as the person that you're giving permission to help you. And a lot of times what happens is we can have trust broken with somebody that uh, we were in relationship with. And what we do is we globalize our pain to every other person in, 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 in humanity. So somebody broke your heart and then you'll say, I can't trust women. I can't trust men. Um, uh, somebody abused you. So you say, I, I don't trust people. And it's like, well, all 7 billion people didn't hurt you on planet Earth. This person did. So why don't we say, I don't trust Robert anymore. <laughs> I'll never go to Robert to try to get fixed or healed because Robert has proven to be a, a, a very negative place or, or space uh, to receive any kind of empathy, comfort, love, care, concern. So I have an issue with Robert. He's the one that traumatized me. And what I will not do is uh, transfer the hurt that I feel because of the pain Robert caused me and put that on Sarah, right? Put that on Mitchell. I'm just coming up with names, right? Um, and so it's really, really important to, to recognize and identify who caused you pain and not let that cloud your judgment from reaching out to others. Wow, that's so good, so helpful. Here's the last one. And then I asked you if you could pray for anybody who's experiencing trauma uh, since that, that, that would need to be the focus as we close to pray for people who are watching or listening right now who are feeling trapped. I think the last question will be, when have you seen trauma in someone's life turn into toxicity and their actions towards other people? And what are some of those things that you can kind of coach us with how to not let trauma become toxicity? Yeah, so um, I've, seen, I've seen trauma become toxic when uh, the person that has been in pain doesn't have words to express, right? The, the, the analogy I always use is whatever doesn't come up and out of your mouth through words will come up and out of your uh, body through actions, right? So what doesn't ever, whatever doesn't come up and out of your mouth through words will come up and out of your body through action. So you take a person, for instance, who has a lot of anger built up, but they can't express it. Well, what happens? They punch somebody. It, it becomes a domestic violence episode. Uh, you take somebody who has issues of, of abandonment and neglect and rejection, and they can't verbalize that. So what happens? This person may become promiscuous, or they, med they, may, they may medicate their pain uh, with pornography. So uh, what is happening? What's happening is the body's acting out, 
because the mouth has not been given words to label the pain. And what I've learned from my own life coach is that without proper words, our brains don't heal correctly. One side of our brain is creative. The other side is logical. One side of our brain holds the emotions. The other side of the brain holds the logic. So a brain that has a bunch of feelings, right, but that doesn't have those feelings informed by words, winds up what? Caught up in their feelings. The only thing they can do is feel pain, feel pleasure, feel sadness, feel gladness, feel whatever. And as, as a result of not being able to say, I'm in pain because I feel rejected. I'm in pain because I feel abandoned. What happens is um, it just opens up to more toxicity that begins to pour into that place because that person can't properly, uh, can't properly label their pain. So uh, trauma becomes toxic when pain is not labeled properly. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's, that was just like eating at a buffet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, if, you could, if you could pray for people who are listening, people who are watching, people who are in search of healing, feeling trapped in their trauma. If you yeah. Could, I'm closing us in prayer. I would love to. So God, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for um, uh, e even the places where they are working very, very hard to see change happen in their life. God, I pray that there is something that is said from our time today that allows somebody to open up their hearts, maybe even their minds, giving you permission, Holy Spirit, to come in and fix some things and turn their lives upside down. God, I pray not for perfection, not for an instantaneous miracle, but for the type of progression that leads to lifelong change. If you do this, God, we will take none of the credit. We will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, not only for that information, but that impartation that you gave us all. God bless you, Pastor Tim Ross. Thank you so much. Honored to serve. I love you guys.